Welcome to Dude, Where's My Pipeline? I'm your host, Emily Hill, and my usual co-host, Wendy Pirelli, is out today, but I'm really excited because I get to chat with my colleague, Jeff Yeager, VP of Customer Success at PeerSpot. Welcome to the show, Jeff. How's it going today? Spectacular. How about you? Great, great. Thank you. So with all of your experience in customer success. We're excited to talk with you today about how marketers can get a little help from their customers to drive conversions. As a customer success leader, Jeff engages with customers every day. But before we get started, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Certainly. So I am Jeff Yeager. I am the VP of customer success at PeerSpot. I am married to my wonderful wife. I have three kids under five. God help me. I've been at PeerSpot for five years, and uh, I would love to talk to anybody after this about proper practice for woodworking. It's my favorite hobby. But aside from that, I've spent the last 10 years or so, almost 10 years, doing customer success, but very specifically in marketing organizations. So I've been working with marketers as my customers and learning from them and working with them for almost a decade now. And that's why I'm excited to share less really about my expertise and much more about What am I learning from my customers? What's working for them? Awesome. Actually, it was really cool to hear from you about just like certain things about your personal life. So I appreciate you sharing that. We're all more than we are just at our jobs, right? So if you're in on this podcast, you know, marketing can be pretty hard, but you know, how would you feel if you didn't have to do it all by yourself? You know, guys, you need more conversions. So how can we get there, Jeff? Great question, Emily. There's sort of a secret weapon or maybe not so secret. And the way I like to say it is maybe a little bit blunt, but it doesn't make it less true. You as marketers have a central challenge before you sort of really ever get anywhere, which is nobody believes anything you say. And that might sound harsh, but I, as the consumer, don't believe what the vendor is telling me. If Amazon tells me that their web hosting is the best, I'm probably not going to believe them because they have a vested interest in me buying their product. However, if somebody with my job title at a similar company to mine, you know, if it's a similar size or a similar industry, they come to me, somebody who bought the product, took the risk, spent the money and knows, you know, in the real world, what's happening. Their opinion, I'm going to trust. That's somebody who's, whose knowledge about that product, I'm going to take into consideration. Actually, I would say, I think it was yesterday or two days ago, I made a very large ill-advised purchase from one person's recommendation, whose recommendation I take very seriously. It happens to have worked out just fine. Really, I should have done more research. And I guarantee you, if I was buying an enterprise tech product, which is really the world that we play in, I would have gotten more opinions, right? I would have checked out what do people who actually bought this product think? And that's really the most effective marketing tool that you guys have. It's not what you think about your product, right? Users or let's say potential users, prospects, they need you for facts. They need you to tell them what does the product do? How does it compare against the competition? What's it going to do for my organization? What are the ROI metrics I can expect? They don't need you for everything else, right? The vast majority of the buying journey, over 70%, happens before they ever talk to a vendor. And that's because they're going to gather a lot of information from dark social, dark, you know, dark funnel. They're going to talk to their peers and colleagues. They're going to talk to their friends. They're going to go to reviews platforms. So if it's PeerSpot or, you know, Gartner or all the other places where that information is available, they're going to put together a short list. From there, they might engage with you, but they're going to have an opinion before they find you. And so what I think we'll talk about today, uh, and you'll tell me if I'm wrong, is we're going to talk about how do you take advantage of the most believable voice in marketing, right? How do you take advantage of your customers 
to help you put your message out there in a way that uh, is trustworthy, in a way that's effective, and in a way that can ideally save you demand dollars, increase conversions, and hopefully shorten sales cycles as well. Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited to hear your take on all of that because you're totally right. I mean, like you said, you know, unfortunately, marketers aren't inherently trustworthy. (laughs) I'm sure, (laughs) I'm sure anyone listening to this, like you might shake your head a little bit, but you know, there's a kernel of truth in that. You know, I've been marketing to marketers for many years now, and even that's really difficult, right? Because you as a marketer know the game, right? So (laughs) why would you trust another one? But like you said, the customer, when you want to go look for reviews, even in your personal life, and of course, you know, when you're spending crazy amounts of money in your company, you're going to want to go and see what the real people who are really using the product have to say. They're going to be really your best marketing. 100%. So is there an example of something that you see customers doing that really helps drive conversions? So let's, before we get to conversions, let's talk about how do you build an audience that can convert? Perfect. I would say ABM is the name of the game right now. A lot of people talk about ABM. A lot of people are excited. There's a couple of books written on it. I've read them. And unfortunately still, what I see on the ABM front is marketers or product teams or strategy teams or whoever is making the decisions get together and they say, let's build a list of all the companies out there that we wish were our customers. Wouldn't it be amazing if the whole Fortune 500 was our customer? Wouldn't that be incredible? Absolutely. Well, let's get them on the ABM list. Let's make sure we're targeting them. Wouldn't it be great if every major financial services firm was our vendor? They got lots of money. Yeah, let's go after them too. And let's make sure we hit all the big manufacturing places too. Is that enough? I don't know. Maybe we'll throw in healthcare places as well. And what you wind up with is a big list that looks very nice and is really impressive for the C-suite. And they love to see marketing dollars being spent to capture Johnson & Johnson. They're thrilled for that kind of dollars to be spent. However, what you don't know and you can't know is Johnson & Johnson is just signed with your competitor last week. They signed a three-year contract. Mm -hmm. They're really happy. They are not in market right now. And so you're going to spend a fortune going after these people and you have no chance of closing them. And there's another reality we have to face sometimes. And I have to remind myself of this. Even if you try the competitive tactic to try to get them to switch, most products nowadays are good. You have to come to the grips with the fact that, yeah, you'll have your expertise. Your product will be the best at something. But most products in your space, at least from any major respectable vendor, is a good product. And it be- it's become really hard nowadays to know who to go after. And when you couple that, and I'm not going to harp on this, but with market conditions right now, right, it's not great. And efficiency with demand is the name of the game. So how can you go from a list of companies you wish were your customer to a list of companies who might actually become your customer. How do we find an audience that's gonna make a difference, right? And is actually gonna give you efficiency with your demand spend and will convert higher than other audiences. And the way that I'm watching customer do this is with intent data. Intent data is a world unto its own. It's one of my favorite topics. We can and probably will do an entire session just on intent data, but specifically I'm talking about low funnel first party intent data. (laughs) You can get it at PeerSpot. (laughs) <laughs> okay, but let's, it's not about PeerSpot. There's other vendors that have this. Some of them are really good. And the point of intent data is to tell you, and you can filter it any which way you want, but first of all, what is intent data? Intent data is, in many cases, a spreadsheet. 
right? And it's a whole bunch of companies where they're located, what, you know, often what industry they're in, sometimes what, what spend they have, or I should say what revenue they had in the past X amount of months. And it'll show you what they're interested in. What are the things that they're researching right now? And when you can get intent data from first parties, somewhere like PeerSpot, where the audience is very bottom of funnel and looking to buy, you've now got a big list of companies that you should go after. These are companies actively doing research into your space. And these are the companies who are potentially in market right now. Of that list, it doesn't mean you should go after all of them. Okay. You should have an ICP, you know, an ideal customer profile. I hope that you do. If you don't call me, I'll help you. But of that list, you want to filter it down. You want to say, okay, look, I'm pretty sure. And again, efficiency, name of the game here. You know, we know that the zero to 500 employee segment converts 40% worse than other segments. Let's cut that out for now. And we know that, you know, our highest ACV comes from these three industries. Let's focus in there. And we know that typically we win against these four competitors. Let's find people researching those people. And what you now have is a list that is directly targeted to your strengths and the ways that you know how to do marketing and is actively in market right now. Right now you've got a fantastic list to spend all of those marketing dollars on, but you've in increased your chance, your chances a million fold of actually closing something there. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm curious, you know, Gartner has come out with information saying that 67% of marketers say that their number one challenge with intent data investments is making that intent data actionable. Do you have any examples of how you've seen customers really go for it with their intent data and how they've been successful? Yeah. And I agree with Gardner. It's a big challenge. What do you do when you get a list of 10,000 companies and what they're thinking about. There are very few marketing teams that can ingest that much data and do something about it. The first thing, and like I mentioned a moment ago, is you got to segment. You got to start with what you know best. And then, you know, once you've used that up and hopefully converted a ton of them, go off and look at the other segments, right? But you want to start with what you do best and the cohort of intent data that you have to, to as small as possible and as targeted as possible. That's number one. Number two is try to use it with the tools you're familiar with, right? So the number one example that I see that really works very well is LinkedIn's ad platform, right? We all know it's a little bit more expensive than Google, a little bit pricier than Facebook, but on LinkedIn, uh, you can get more targeted than anywhere else. You can say, I want this job title at this list of companies, and you know you're going to hit those people, right? So if you were to go there with your giant aforementioned wish list, ABM list, and plug it into LinkedIn, you're going to run out of money pretty quick. Yeah. But if you plug in this super targeted list of exactly who you want to go after and couple that with the job titles that you know convert best for you, that's a really good use of your spend. So I find a lot of people using it with LinkedIn's ad platform. Some places will send you this data in a way that you can directly upload to LinkedIn or will integrate directly with your LinkedIn spend account, your ad spend account. That's the first way. And the second way that I've seen, and I'll show, let's say three, keeping with the theme of threes, rule of threes. Second way I've seen is if you're using an ABM platform, plug it in. So there's a lot of fantastic tools out there. You know, if it's Sixth Sense, if it's demand base, if it's others, they have really powerful platforms where you can plug your intent data in, match it with their signals and action it through those platforms. So some of those platforms will upload signals directly into your CRM where sales is working. Some of those platforms have ad spend built into them. So you can spend on these platforms directly to those audiences and track them in those tools. I think ABM platforms are a fantastic way to action intent data. The third way, and this is less for marketers, but if you've got this data already, I think you should be taking advantage of it to help the overall org is actually using this data to prevent churn, 
right? And we, you know, we've all seen the stats. There's too many of them to count, but they all say the same thing. Keeping existing business is much cheaper than acquiring new ones. And what you've essentially got now with super targeted intent data is a list of companies in market. You don't want to see any of your existing customers on that list. That would be a problem. So right. the first thing you want to do is you want to send that to whoever runs retention at your company. And you want to show them and you'll look good when they get that message. And at the same time, you can run any sort of customer marketing retention activities at exactly the right time because they haven't switched yet. You know that because they haven't canceled with you, but you've caught them at a very interesting time when you can still salvage that deal. So that's, I would say, three, three super easy ways to action intent data with tools you already have. Awesome. Thank you. Those are really great examples. So I also saw that 73% of B2B marketers use intent data in email marketing, and that's from sales Intel. And I think that's a good segue into your next point. I think you wanted to talk about outbound email marketing as well. Yeah, I think it's funny. I spent a lot of time on LinkedIn mm-hmm. and I really like LinkedIn. I think it's a fun platform. I think the information there is pretty valuable. But I'm also watching it turn into more and more of like a proper social network where it's all about what's going to go viral and less about interesting information. So I'm always watching, you know, somebody will write a post one day saying email marketing is dead. And then five minutes later, somebody else writes a post saying you might think email marketing is dead, but really it's stronger than ever. And it's then, so funny. You know, I agree. I feel like you see that everywhere, but email marketing will never die because email course. is never going to die. Of like course it's, it's not so, dead. It's you so check silly. Your email all day long. <laughs> it's the same thing with cold calling. Obviously, I'm uh, you know I live partially in the sales world, and every other day somebody tells me cold calling is dead. Until I don't have a phone in my pocket, cold calling is dead. <laughs> so n- none of us are going to stop doing email marketing. None of us are going to stop communicating in the number one place that professional people communicate. Let's put that. Let's put that to rest. In my opinion, you know, feel free to quote me. And, and so, if you're doing email marketing. And often at medium to larger companies, you'll have teams whose entire job is email marketing. At smaller companies, you'll have somebody who a percentage of their time is spent on this. But regardless, there's a cost to it, right? It's fairly cost-effective in the sense that you don't pay per email. But there's a lot of time that goes into crafting messages, if it's graphics, if it's, you know, well, what are you email marketing about? So often you'll be inviting people to an event or to a webinar or to read a white paper you wrote. All of those things that go into the email marketing effort, there's a cost to them. Yeah. And it, like anything else, you want to be efficient with email marketing. So I don't have some magical subject line or call to action that's going to transform your email marketing. I don't have any buzz phrases you should use. I'm not the best email marketer. I can only tell you what's helping my customers get better click. And that's voice of customer. That's putting in your email. And I had a customer actually do this. They wrote an email and I'll, I'll paraphrase because I don't remember it exactly, but It went something like this. Hey, Sarah, you know, it's me again from X company. I realize I've sent you all these emails and I forgot one important thing, which is I work at this company. (laughs) So my opinion might not mean all that much to you. And so I thought I'd take a different tactic. And I found somebody with your exact job title who does a similar job to you and actually lives in the same state as you. Maybe was lives in the same state or works in the same industry, some other very relevant piece of information. And here's what they had to say about our product. Here's what they thought. They thought that, you know, it was super valuable because this, and they saw this ROI metric and they quoted the review site it came from, you know, I'll I'll let you guess which one that was. And (laughs) that email saw a much, much better conversion rate to their typical emails. First of all, because I think it was unexpected. I think people see a sort of opener like that. Maybe I do have tips on an opener, I guess. 
people see an opener like that and it's just a little bit different than what they've seen before. And then they read on and they say, wait, somebody's actually acknowledging the elephant in the room. Somebody's realizing that, you know, I'm not interested in your buzzwords and your, your cross-functional alignment or whatever, you know, whatever people say these days. I'm interested in knowing what's it actually going to be like to use your product, right? And that's the crux of it is people need to know what's the experience going to be after, right? Yes, of course, I'm getting lots of attention now. I work at a Fortune 500 company. You have an entire marketing campaign focused on me buying your product, right? I'm going to get the best experience now. Salespeople are going to come out and wine and dine me. My CEO is going to get a call from your investors. You know, I'm going to get a really nice box of chocolates in the mail. What happens afterwards, right? What happens to my reputation when I put it on the line for your product? That's what I actually care about. And so the number one tip I can give for email marketing, and I'm not saying stop doing what you're doing. I'm saying augmented with customer voice, take reviews of your products that talk about the reality of what it's like to actually be a user that talk about how was the implementation? How long did that take? What are some of the hard ROI metrics you can get? How did it scale through the organization, right? If you're going enterprise, you can't have a product that's hard to scale. It needs to work. How stable is it, right? What's uptime like, you know, share those statistics with them. And you're much more likely to find somebody who's interested in what you have to say. Yeah, that's it. So I'm curious a little bit about your thoughts on cold email marketing, cold calling, those kinds of things. You know, 75% of execs are willing to make an appointment or attend an event based on a cold call or a cold email alone, according to Discover Org. Have you experienced a whole lot of that and how customers have been successful with that? So I get a lot of cold calls, not because I'm so important, purely because of my title. And it's so, so that status, it's surprising to me only because mm-hmm. not, not yeah. because I think executives are more prone to ignore cold calls. It's just that I don't have a one minute empty block in my day to actually answer that phone call, but I'm not surprised by it. I would say you need to decide if the executive is the person you need to go after. Right. At least in, and again, I'm not sharing any expertise as who I am. I'm sharing expertise from two places. One is what I learned from my customers and two is what I see on our platform, right? What I see on our platform in most scenarios is not necessarily executives doing the research. You'll have an executive who signs off an initiative that says, we need to bring in a product like this. We need to bring in a solution like this one. And they'll form a committee or they'll form, you know, a tiger team or whatever it is. And those people will go off and figure out what are the business needs what are the specs we're looking for? What are the potential solutions that we need to be on our shortlist? And those are typically the people that we see doing research. So I don't know, and again, it's gonna change based on what your product is and if you're going after mid-market or enterprise, but often the person you wanna go after is the network engineer, right? Mm-hmm. Is the cybersecurity engineer, is the director of operations. Even though it's much sexier to spend demand dollars on VPs and CEOs and SVPs and senior partners and all of these really fancy titles, they're going to pass it off. Whereas if you can attempt to influence and build a champion in the person making the recommendations, there is value to a bottom-up approach. Yeah, I agree. I mean, like you said, you know, if you're marketing to, obviously, depending on your customer and your product, if you're trying to market to the VP, it does, like you said, it it sounds good. It sounds sexy, but they're going to probably be passing it off. So are you wasting your time marketing to them when you could just be marketing to the person who's actually going to use that product? And they're the influencer. They're the ones that are going to say, this is what I need. I mean, that's even in my experience, you know, as a marketer. Are you doing damage? 
Right. right. If, if this VP is already, or CEO or whatever it is already has a team out there doing research and you are relentlessly going after this person, they may get so annoyed. Mm-hmm. They say any product, but this one. At what point do they notice maybe I'm not the one that they should be targeting? Like, so maybe they're not, you know, a very good marketer. That's another thing to think about how professional you sound coming from your company because you're actually marketing to the wrong person. 100%. So what else can help drive conversions for marketers? Maybe this will be the last one. This is sort of the most obvious place, right? Is, well, where do people convert? 99% of the time it's on a landing page. You know, so some platforms, LinkedIn's got these cool like pop-up conversions now that you can do. I don't have any stats now on how those perform. I'd assume well, but the majority of conversions will happen on a landing page of some sort. And there's endless work and research that goes into conversion rate optimization on landing pages. We do a ton of every company's doing it because if you've gotten them that far, that's the last place you want to lose them. Imagine you've run this campaign, you've gotten them to open the email, they read it, they clicked, they read that page, you've got hot jar, you know what they're doing on the page. Mm-hmm. And then they don't convert. Is there anything worse? Right? Oh, Shockingly, my suggestion is going to be around voice of customer, right? It's going to be on that page. Is there going to be a giant logo, you know, our giant logo on that page and a line that says, don't worry, trust us. We're amazing. Everybody loves us. And our product is the greatest thing in the world because that's what most landing pages look like, right? It says uh, either it's something really scammy, you know, like, I don't know, click here for your new car, or it's, you know, our product is incredible. You won't regret it. Schedule a demo. Give me an hour of your time. What if instead your logo has to be there, right? It's a branded page, but what if it was small? And what if instead was a big third-party logo? And what if instead of a you-branded case study or you-branded customer talk track, there was a third-party branded one and it was big and it was obvious and it told a story. And, uh, And the way that we enable and the way that other sites enable is what we call widgets. So these are essentially carousels They're they're little containers that have review quotes in them and the beauty, and you just put them on the landing page and and many people actually just make that the landing page, right? The person who clicked through, they know what they clicked through on. They know what you're asking them to convert on. Don't distract them. Give them some third-party validation and give them a a form to fill out. And the beauty of widgets is how dynamic they are. So in, in most scenarios, you won't be using one landing page to convert all your traffic. You'll be using audience specific landing pages. So if you're trying to convert the healthcare industry, it's going to be a very specific campaign to them, and it's going to have the TID for them, UTM, whatever. Same goes if you're trying to convert a specific geo, you know, you're going to have it either in their language or in some way that makes it more accessible to them. And the beauty of a widget is it's dynamic, right? If you're on a healthcare page, let's make sure that the widget is talking about the value of your product in the healthcare industry. Let's make sure that the people you're quoting in those widgets are healthcare people right? Or at least, you know, our technology professionals in the healthcare industry, right? Let's make sure that you are doing everything you can to talk directly to the audience that's getting to that page and giving them the value that, you know, any kind of value that you can, instead of either both generalizing and I don't know what the word is, being biased, let's say. And there's plenty of statistics behind this, right? Lots of customers of ours of other sites and in general, just in the industry, see a jump in conversions when you put voice of customer content in a widget or otherwise on a landing page for the simple fact that you're giving customers what they want. And I think that's really the summation of the whole talk here is the number one most requested content during a buying cycle 
And it does, almost doesn't matter what you're buying. You could be on Amazon buying shoes. The first thing you do is you go read the reviews, right? The number one most requested content when people buy is reviews. They want to know what people like them think. And so save yourself the time and give them what they're asking for. And if you give them what they're asking for on your landing page, they are less likely to go find it elsewhere. It's true. It's really about making that landing page about them, not about you. Exactly. Cool. That's really good insight. Thank you. So, you know, is there anything else that you wanted to share today? I'll say, you know, as sort of a last thing is if you have more questions about this, if this is a topic that you're interested in, you see the value in, I hope I've given you at least enough reason to explore it. It's something I'm very passionate about. It's something that we're watching happen empirically, right? This is not what I think on the topic. This is what hundreds of the best technology companies in the world are doing and is working for them. So if I can help you personally, you know, feel free to reach out to me. And Emily, go ahead and plug whatever website they should go to. Well, I think mostly when we're on here, we're talking about reaching out to guests on LinkedIn. If you want to continue the conversation, we also have a community that we've just started called the Tech Demand Gen Spot on Facebook. And we'll put that in the show notes as well as LinkedIn links. So if you want to participate more in conversation, you can get to those places. So just to wrap up our conversation, three of the great ways that you gave us to help get your customers to help you with your marketing are utilizing intent data, especially, you know, those from first party providers, those that are more bottom of the funnel, higher quality leads, outbound email marketing and using widgets on landing pages to really personalize those landing pages for your customer, not making it about you as your company. So thank you so much for joining us today, Jeff. You gave us some really great info and such great insights. And we know that there's a lot more where that came from. And so we'd love to have you come back again. Yeah. Thank you very much. I had a great time. I love listening to myself talk. Looking forward to the next one. Awesome. Thank you so much. So if you have any questions or ideas to add to the discussion, as we mentioned earlier, feel free to reach out to us on LinkedIn or join our community on Facebook at Tech Demand Gen Spot. Like I said, I'll put the info in the show notes. And until next time, thank you so much for tuning in to keep this sweet show in your podcast feed. Every time a new episode drops, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget, tell a friend, dude. Special thanks to PeerSpot for sponsoring our show. PeerSpot is the buying intelligence platform where tech pros learn about enterprise products before they buy them. Along with that, PeerSpot helps demand gen marketers fill their pipeline with high quality bottom of funnel leads and create voice of customer content for all stages of the buyer's journey. So for more info about demand gen and how to fuel your pipeline, check out marketing.peerspot.com. Thank you.